Welcome to Eat This Scroll, a University Fellowship Church podcast. My name is Chris Moore. We get together twice a week and chew on God's word. And this week we've got Jarrell Carper with us. He's back. He's back. He's here. Here. Yep. That's fully present, that fully engaged, goes. fully aware. <laughs> so last week you, uh, excuse me, last episode, um, which was months ago that we recorded that. A couple of years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you gave us kind of a, was it a 30 or 10 or a 9,000 foot <laughs> it view? It was an overview of the book of first Peter written by Peter. By um, Peter. And I, I did listen to it and realized I said, Paul repeat a lot. Yeah. And for those of you who discredited me, that was correct. <laughs> <laughs> I have repented and I will say Peter from now on. I have a secret theory that Paul was the ghostwriter for all the epistles. Hmm. Ghosts? G- holy Ghost. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> we believe right. in Holy Ghosts. <laughs> so, uh, so where are we at in First Peter this time? Yeah. So I thought we'd just start by reviewing the review because you know you're not going to go back and listen to the last episode, and I bet you forgot. By Catch now. us up. So I put I picked three big themes. Ooh. The first theme was that we are resident aliens, or Peter is writing to his audience as resident aliens, um, residents of one kingdom, uh, yet living or living in one kingdom, citizens of another. Um, and that tension plays out uh, throughout the book. Uh, the second theme is trials and suffering that this tension is going to create, um, opportunity for, um, friction both between our, like our new self and our old self, our flesh. Um, but then also between us as a new, um, humanity and Christ as it relates to the world around us um, and particular persecutions or tensions there. And the final theme is hope that all of this is pointing us to Christ who does have um, the power and the authority to bring about God's rule and reign on earth as it is in heaven. And that is our hope. So there's a lot of calls to rejoice, a lot of recognition of trials and, um, that tension plays out throughout as well. So awesome. Rejoice in your sufferings. Let's go. Sounds like a Christian thing to do. So <laughs> I was actually, um, I, I didn't want to go take like 29 weeks and go through this. Like I want it to be like seven or eight. So we're not going to chew too deep into, uh, the book, but I did want to take the first episode that isn't the intro and just cover the intro. So let me just read that. Um, if you're driving your car, pull out your Bible. How many times are we going to make that joke? <laughs> Every time. It never gets old. It's gotten old to me and I still do it. So, okay. First Peter, um, it's on page <laughs> 10, 14. Perfect. Perfect. I'll um, flip right to it. Uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Asia and Bithynia, um, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Colon. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. And that's where we're going to land today. Short and sweet. The intro of a letter. There's always in the New Testament. <laughs> you you say that as as a joke, which is true, but I'm always impressed by how much is in an introduction. 
like it, especially with Paul's epistles, it's the same way as this. Like, you're like, okay, we really need to dissect this stuff. Yeah, it is the one I found, the one piece, the one major piece of an epistle or a letter in the New Testament where I feel like if I wasn't in pastoral ministry, I would read them and I could be like, yeah, I, I don't know. There's just some like places and it sounds kind of sounds the same, <laughs> but it's the place where you go to like, you open up a commentary to preach on it. And there's like, it's like 30 pages of, okay, here's the whole setting. And that's very important, you know, to understand the historical context of what's going on and the places and names, like they're not pointless, but it takes some work to make sense of it. So I just skip right over and I'm yeah. like, where's the meat at in <laughs> here? Like, Paul, anyways, first three. <laughs> I didn't mean to say Peter. I did mean to say Paul. Anyways, um, so the first thing I want to draw out is that he calls them elect exiles. And so there's two pieces of their identity that they are elect or chosen, that they're exiles and or foreigners. Um, and so... Basically, P- Peter is starting out with with this really clear tension of their identity, first as it relates to God, that they are chosen, um, and then secondly, as it relates to the world around them, they are foreigners or exiles. And that dual identity is what he's going to play off of um, in, in the book. So that's just the starting place that um, he goes on. And so, so when he's talking about elect exiles, he's writing to Roman Gentile Christians that have been dispersed from Rome to Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. And the reason that Rome is uh, dispersing people is because they're trying to expand their empire and they're trying to create influence and disperse people of like mindedness to just rule and reign with their particular value structure of the, the Roman empire. And so Peter is writing to people who have been displaced from Rome, but he's playing off that metaphor, not just from Rome to Asia Minor, but between their new identity in Christ and then whatever socio-political cultural context they're in, whether that's Rome or Galatia. Does that make sense? Yeah, and they would have been in the thick of it tangibly because they were not in their home. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot going on. And so that's one of the things that I was reading was like scholars are debating, well, does he just mean that they're displaced from Rome or is he talking more um, like with, with an image of like, yeah, you're displaced from Rome, but you're also displaced from the world around you. Um, and so that's what's going on historically. So they're elect, and he uses language of inviting them into kind of the old old covenant language, sprinkling of blood. And so he's using exiles as an image as well of the Assyrian Babylonian exile. And Peter is framing up their reality within the narrative of God's people um, in the old covenant. So He's starting his letter to a disoriented and displaced people group that's trying to be faithful to Jesus, but is encountering, um, you know, persecution and aversion and and needs orientation. And he starts by orienting them in God's story, and then helping to instruct them as to how how to relate to the outside world, using Jesus as a great example of that throughout the book. So, um. It wouldn't take much to, to recognize that this particular conversation is so, it feels like it has just been heightened recently with all that's going on. I like if, if, if you were to just ask a Christian, like what particular hot topics could you bring up in a church? 
in order to divide people. You ruin the potluck immediately. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, and you, we could probably sit here, we're not going to right now, but like make a list of six or seven things. Like if you brought this up, you could divide the room. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of those relate to the way that we as Christians relate to the world around us. And um, we've talked about this other times before as a, as a staff and, and even you and I, you know, over coffee of, of what framework we're supposed to use. I, um, I found this quote pretty helpful um, and it goes like this. Peter uses their disorienting experience to instruct and encourage them with his insight that all Christians are in a real sense foreigners to their place of residence, regardless of where they are living. Uh, where, whenever Christian values and customs conflict with those of the dominant society. And so that is a big question. What practices, customs, and values do we have as believers that conflict with the world around us? And then which ones align with the world around us and trying to pay attention um, to that. And, I, um, and the thing that I think we want to do a lot is to create black and white categories like we want as christians to have one framework and one algorithm and apply that to all places at all times and say this is this is the one size fits all antidote to the question of the relationship between christians and the culture around them and i understand why that's appealing (laughs) right um we like black and white things we Especially, again, it's like this is where it just turns into like inception (laughs) in a culture that does not like black and white things. Mm -hmm. We can react against that and be want to be more black and white (laughs) in order to when I say black and white, I mean, I just mean like hard lines, high walls, dogmatic, simple yes or no answers to what Mm -hmm. we ought to do. So what what would a relatively common or maybe safe example of that look like that's not going to get us tattoos. Hey, <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, I'm the guy with yeah, tattoos well, so, here. <laughs> yeah, and we've talked about this before. I grew, you know, I grew up in an Anabaptist tradition in Lancaster County near, like so, literally surrounded by Amish. And they, they have some very like, you know, I guess, well, every expression of every community is a little different based on what their bishop says. But, there are some pretty clear things like, yeah, we're not going to drive a car <laughs> and like, that's not, not debatable. And I grew up in a, you know, in a Christian culture that there were some of those, those black lines, alcohol, swearing, um, the way you dressed, the movies, the media you consumed. And, um, these are kind of like the traditional safe <laughs> ones, but they're safe because we're kind of on the backside of them when they were really hot topics right. or we're not in a geographical setting, like the Pacific Northwest where, Christians aren't really debating about tattoos, but like you could go to a place in the U S where they are. So, um, so all that to say is, um, what I want to propose is that rather than having a concrete algorithm that we just superimpose onto any situation that we have more like guideposts. And this is an appeal to the concept of wisdom that we see throughout scripture that rather than a law book, um, the Bible is inviting us to live out the wisdom of God as we stay faithful to the Bible, to the text, to how we understand God moving and working in his His ways in the world. Um, that there isn't like a verse in the Bible for every possible question or tension you could have. Like, um, what's the big one? Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? 
That's that oh, was like a joke. This. David clearly talks about that in the Psalms. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Psalm one fifty one. That's I, a church playing network. Just kidding. I, I I'm a big advocate for Gremlins being a Christmas movie. Oh, nobody talks about Gremlins. Hmm. Anyways, Home so, Alone. <laughs> so, so what you're saying, you're seeing here in Peter's introduction to his letter that he's reminding them of the unifying element of their sanctification by the Spirit, the sprinkling of the blood that that is what binds them while they're interacting with this totally foreign, literally foreign place, but also we applicable. I think we both agree to all mankind that are in Christ. Right. We're all in a foreign place. Yeah. Yeah. And so I want to propose four guideposts that I've found. Some of these come out of first Peter, but some of them are just wisdom that I've picked up over the years and reading different um, books and thinking and different scriptures um, and this isn't like, um, I'm not proposing this. This is like, I found the magic ticket. I've just found this to be helpful tools. What's that Latin phrase? Lectio. Lectio divina. Yeah. Divina. This isn't Lectio divina. No, that's, that's like when you, um, read scripture like meditatively. Oh, I you might be was, thinking of something else. Yeah. Where, when the, when the Pope sits in his seat, it's. Anyways. I don't know that Latin word. I know all the other Latin words. <laughs> <laughs> So this isn't gospel law, you're, but... Yeah. So, okay. The first is humble awareness. Humble awareness. And it's just to recognize that you yourself are coming out of a particular lens and tradition. And I don't mean that everything is subjective, but to curb your pride enough to, before you um, begin to think about other Christians as they relate or the world, the cultural ebbs and flows... Try to orient yourself within your own upbringing and lens and worldview of like, what have I already been taught? And like, what biases and assumptions am I bringing into this situation? And have humility about it. Be willing to critique your own posture and any inconsistencies you might find is to look inward and and really hold yourself up to scripture and to God's word and sound theology as far as um, the complexity of the the world that we live in and and where you're at and so um, I I think a lot of people skip this step and what we do is we you know it's just, maybe it's a stupid image but if I'm I'm wearing glasses that are tinted um, blue and you're wearing glasses that are tinted red we both look at something yellow like to me it looks green to you it looks orange there you go I know right. my art <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, and we're just arguing about that all day until I realized like, oh man, I'm coming at it from this particular lens and I, one of us might have the right lens. I'm not saying there's no right, mm-hmm. but to recognize, man, if you grew up in a particular stream and we see this a lot, I think within generations and you see this within the church, typically the older generations are trying to hold on to a particular set of values while younger generations are raised up. And you see that clash. You saw that in like the the worship wars, right? The contemporary service and the old school service. And we shouldn't have drums. I mean, I was in churches where should you have drums in church was like a deal breaker, and it split congregations and they divided services. You know, and I want the worship team behind the congregation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the trees in the Bible they clap their hands, so that's a form of drumming. That was the way I got, you know. That's how you got out of it. Yeah, Old Testament reference. There you go. (laughs) So be humble and try to be aware of where you, what your starting point is, because you're going to be bringing particular postures 
And what we have a habit of doing is we we try to find facts that support what we already what we want to be true. Like we made up our mind on what we already want to believe about this. And so we try to like prove it to ourselves rather than actually having an open heart and open hand. That makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah. This is um I mean, I grew up in a totally different tradition than where I'm at now. It was still Christian, but denominationally it was very, very different. Um, and it's just interesting. I'm glad you pointed out the importance of measuring yourself against scripture because that is infallible. That is inspired. That's God breathed. And that ultimately is the guidepost for are we right or are we wrong? So you weigh your traditions and your lenses and you go, oh no, this is not the way I understood this, you know, yeah. <laughs> as shown in scripture. And then you adjust. Yeah. And, and that's where, I mean, man, we could just, we need to stop going down this. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, we actually sent that video around of that really, you know, his name, that conservative pastor talking about oh, peeing yeah. against the wall and how men shouldn't sit oh, down to pee. Gosh. And he's like appealing to the Old Testament and like he's actually appealing to the Bible. He's just misinterpreting it very so passionately, wrong. misinterpreting yeah. it and pridefully. And that's so even being, you know, the context of community to have discussions in a mature fashion that you could actually converse with people. So. We'll talk about that. Um, well, I guess my next point is faithful diligence. So humble awareness, faithful diligence. And what I mean by this is to really study the culture and really study scripture. Um, so John Calvin is like, be a student of the word and a student of the newspaper. Bible in one hand, newspaper in the other. Like you're aware of what's going on um, in the world enough to know, like to, to be aware of the, of the ebbs and flows. And I've, you know, I'm trying to check my own biases, but I've actually found been like really excited about some of the Christians that are stepping into this space of of cultural commentary <laughs> not to just like not for no sake but just to be aware of the soup we're swimming in because we are shaped by the culture that we've grown up in and it's just it's just like that image of a fish doesn't know it's swimming in water <laughs> until it can look outside of the bowl but if you never like click in that awareness of recognizing you're a fish swimming in water like you don't know what water is um that was the illustration in the james k smith book which we read oh um, yes yeah. i do remember that <laughs> yeah it's a little funny funny thing and then so avoiding echo chambers is like what we want to do is surround ourselves with people that already agree on us about the way we can be elect and exiles <laughs> and what we do is you just i mean social media algorithms are designed to do this to us. Mm -hmm. And you've seen a polarization where um, not just politically, but theologically, we've just, we've, we've been pushed to the polls. People are shooting over each other's heads and overreacting and counterbalancing. And we end up doing is just like pushing away from each other as opposed to coming together and having some of those difficult conversations within a trusted Christian community, being able to like respectfully converse and grow and, um, and you might leave and be like, yeah, that person is not, <laughs> they're just not on my page and I don't, we're going to have to figure out how to get along. And like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's books in the Bible that talk a lot, a lot about that. Um, yeah, Christian unity, yeah. I don't think it's don't a big, deal, big yeah. deal to God <laughs> fight for it. <laughs> so humble awareness, faithful diligence, uh, subversive exile. And so this is like knowing when to draw the line of what you won't like go with <laughs> um and then not just when to draw the line but how you're going to draw that line and what posture you take to draw that line 
Um, and even maybe the, the pride that you d- do or don't have in that. And so this, we, we might just want to leave this one here because this is a place where Christians really disagree of what is that point where we say no to the particular values of the world around us? Um, and then how do we do that in a way that's still loving and caring and showing the character of Christ and um, the proclaiming the good news to the world um, without entirely just, um, you know, totally withdrawing from society. <laughs> like there are Christian communes mm-hmm. that live out in the woods and share their belongings. <laughs> Sounds tempting um, some days. So who do they marry? <laughs> Each other. Great. Um, like what if there's no one for you? <laughs> um, anyways, so that obviously that can go wrong. The Rajneesh, that's a joke. Um, <laughs> it's a local joke. And the last one is Christ-like compassion. And I feel like I've said the word compassion too much around here, but Jesus says it. So um, to live proximate to brokenness and value others as image bearers, um, it's to always check your posture of we... We want to move toward violence, and I think Christ calls us to peacemaking. Um, we want to create enemies, and we do have enemies, but we're still called to love them. And so if we if we lose the compassionate love of Christ as we relate to the world around us, then we've missed I think we've missed something. And that's actually Peter's primary appeal is in this letter, setting up Christ as an example of how to love people who are opposed to you and persecuting you to be faithful, to fulfill the mission that God's asked you to do um, and be willing to lay down your life um, and be mocked. And um, so anyways, rather than saying here is the answer, no matter what your situation is, apply it. What I want to propose is here are four guideposts. If you carry these in your in your knapsack, <laughs> in your heart, and you're proactively, regularly trying to to have humble awareness, to have faithful diligence, to live in subversive exile, and to show Christ-like compassion, then I, I really think you're going to be in the ballpark of biblical, sound faithfulness to this tension. Um, and within that ballpark, we're always going to have disagreements and not see eye to eye. Um, but I, I like... If iron's going to sharpen iron, there's going to be sparks, <laughs> and um, w- which is the, ne- the the need for Christian community and for Christians to model what it looks like to to be communities where we can have these conversations with dignity and respect and grow from one another, as opposed to um, polarizing between one another. So, yeah, that was a lot. That was a lot. But there you go. Just to add on, um, I think that. You know, we we have such a such a um, uh, ten ten uh, thousand. Nope. What's the word? Propensity. Ooh. Towards um, towards like feeling that fire kindle inside yeah. of us. Oh yeah. We're always the blood boils. Yeah, we're always looking for a fight, whether it's defensively or offensively. And I think um, similar to how you opened the list of things that could divide a room. I think it it would be a really helpful exercise to evaluate if you just in your imagination could time how quickly you're ready to brawl if someone presents something op- oppositional to your ideas 
that can provide really good insight into how much you lack self-discipline. These qualities are not godly qualities, ready to fight, angry, volatile, (laughs) prickly. Like, no, Scripture enforces the exact opposite, and yet there's still room for disagreements and division sometimes, you know, when you hit those really hard lines of like, this is what Scripture says. But I think examining yourself and going, okay, these things, I really am not as patient as I want myself. I'm patient in an echo chamber. Yeah. And I'm very compassionate in an echo chamber. But when it comes to somebody who I consider way wrong, who by your own estimation needs the truth, needs love, needs gentleness, needs charity, yeah. um, why aren't you ready to give it to him? You right. know, and just being doing that evaluation, going, ugh, this is not as good as I thought it was. Yeah, we love winning. Yeah. 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 You're like, well, that sounds like you're a product of <laughs> Yeah. Going circles. <laughs> yeah. If if there's any mystery, charity is is so beneficial for the Christian life. So um yeah, fruits well, of the spirit. So yeah, there you go. There's four guideposts. That's the introduction. We are elect yet. We are in exile. And this next podcast, we're gonna talk about um joy in the midst of suffering, which I think hits close to home for a lot of people, uh, including me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Joe. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, listeners. We'll get you next time. Peace out. Well, thanks for listening. Thank you to our guests for coming and sharing what they've been chewing on in God's Word. We produce these podcasts and release them twice a week, so please subscribe so you don't miss out on one. And don't forget, love God, love your neighbor, and make disciples. Disciples.